Hello, and welcome to PW KidsCast, the children's book podcast from Publishers Weekly. In each episode, we speak with authors and illustrators creating books for children and teens today. I'm John Sellers, the children's reviews editor at Publishers Weekly. Today, we're lucky enough to have two best-selling authors with us, Kelly Armstrong and Melissa Marr, who have teamed up to write Loki's Wolves, the first book in the Blackwell Pages trilogy. The book will be published in May by Little Brown, which is sponsoring this podcast. Kelly Armstrong and Melissa Marr have each built up devoted followings for their books for teens and adults. Armstrong is the author of the Women of the Otherworld series for adults and the Darkest Power series for teens. Marr is best known for her Wicked Lovely series and in 2011 published her first adult book, Graveminder. Now the authors have collaborated on their first book for middle grade readers. In the TV show Heroes, the tagline was, Save the Cheerleader, Save the World. In Loki's Wolves, it's more like, Kill the Serpent, Save the World, as 13-year-old Matt Thorson puts it. Matt, like many residents of Blackwell, South Dakota, is descended from the Norse god Thor. And when the town elders realize that a cataclysmic Ragnarok is approaching, they reveal that Matt is destined to play a key role in averting global apocalypse. To do so, he joins forces with Fen and Lori, descendants of another Norse god, Loki. Uh, Kelly and Melissa, thanks for speaking with me. Thank you. You two have worked together in the past, uh, editing some short story collections. But how and when did uh, your paths first cross, uh, Melissa? Um, actually, I've been a fan of Kelly's for many years. Um, when her first book, Bitten, came out, I found it in a bookstore and went back to the bookseller and begged them to find me something else like it. Um, so when she published her first um, young adult book and I found out that Harper was publishing it, who publishes the Wicked Lovely series, I begged them for a copy. And from there, um, you know, cornered her over breakfast and we ended up friends. And uh, where did the idea to team up on a middle grade novel come from, uh, Kelly? Uh, it was, again, Melissa, uh, Melissa's idea. I mean, we do know other uh, writing you know, partnerships. And I had, in the past, I had always been so curious about how that you know worked. I'm always looking for new challenges or something to bring a new angle to writing. So Melissa, you know, mentioned it, you know, what you ever think of it? And, and actually, sorry, I should mention that it was also brought up by a writing friend of ours, um, Sarah, Sarah Reese Brennan. We were sitting in an airport, I can't even recall where, eating donuts for breakfast. Hmm. And she th- and, and she thought that a Calissa book sounded like like a lot of fun. And after that, eventually Melissa came back and said, would you have, you know, what would you, what would you think of doing that sometime and I jump, jumped at it because love her writing and if there was somebody that I wanted to work with it, it would be Melissa. And uh, you know, Norse mythology is obviously a key part of this book. Uh, I was curious, did either of you have a background in it before diving into the story? Uh, Melissa, I know that uh, folklore has been you know, a big part of your earlier writing as well. Actually, my husband's family is Norwegian. And so when I got married to him, he came with a four-year-old daughter. And I was panic-stricken because all I knew was my Celtic folklore. And I was terrified that I wouldn't have the folklore resources to make sure she had that part of her heritage. And so I immersed myself rather intensely into um, Norse mythology so I could, for her and right after that, we had had a son. So to make sure that they had both sides of their heritage, um, I wanted to to cover the Norse mythology. So this was very much um, a result of that. And and in part, actually, for both Kelly and I writing for our sons, um, that Norse mythology was for my son and this book was written for my son and Kelly. Could you talk about how it works with your son and writing for your kids too? 
I can. Um, when I wrote my uh, YA novels, it was in a large part because my daughter, who was about 12 at the time, started saying, when can I read your books? And I said, not for a few years. Um, and I said, well, how about I write something set in that world, but more geared to your age? Um, and so that ended up becoming The Darkest Powers. Well, I've got two boys. Um, they are now 12 and 13. Um, a couple of years ago, they started saying, mom, when are you going to write something that we want to read? So I would show them my first YA, which says 11 and up, and say, this is this is perfectly suitable for you. And they would say, there's a girl on the cover. <laughs> I would say, it's got zombies, it's got werewolves, it's got action and no kissing. And they would say, there's a girl holding jewelry on the cover. So clearly not their idea of the kind of book that they wanted to read. Okay. Well, this is maybe a, a marketing question, but along those same lines, I noticed you guys are using your initials to, uh, for your author names in this book. Was that sort of a, a strategic uh, decision? It was very much about the fact that um, my YA is upper YA, um, and I did write this for my then 12-year-old son, and we know that we're going to have younger readers, and you know, when my kids like an author, they go and see what else they have. I don't want 8- to 12-year-olds reading my YA um, if they're not ready for it, especially the, eight, the, the younger side of that. I don't want them ending up reading my adult books, and Kelly feels the same way. It's, it's one of the reasons that I love working with her, just not just on this, but when we edited our anthologies and we did the Smart Chicks tour, is that we're both very aware of being parents and how we would feel if we were the parent and our child was exposed to something before we felt they were ready. So we opted to use our initials to help uh, parents and booksellers with that division. And... Uh uh, Kelly, I was curious, did you also do some uh, some research and reading of uh, the original Norse myths? I grew up as a folklore and mythology geek. Anything I could get, get my hands on, I read. So whether it was berserkers or werewolves, if it was anything, anything I, could, I could find, especially in so-called nonfiction, um, you know, reading it and just I found those stories so absolutely fascinating. And Norse has always been one of my favorites because it is just action-packed and very odd. And I love action and and I do love odd. It's it's funny you mentioned that combination. Um, I also sort of grew up reading these myths along with Greek myths and others. And one of the ones that always stuck out in my head, and I won't psychoanalyze this too much, is a story in which one of the goddesses has to pick out a husband based on uh, which one of the gods has like the sexiest legs. Um, I was curious, did, did either of you, uh, were there any particular favorites that uh, you either came across or grew up with that have, have stuck with you, uh, Melissa? Well, with this one, um, it was, um, it's kind of become a family joke is there's, there are goats. One of the gods has these goats and it's sort of a bizarre, a bizarre element in the book in the Norse mythology. And so when my son read the first draft of, of Loki, he said, where are the goats? And the dedication of the book is a promise that there will be goats, which ultimately show up in the second one because, you know, it's really weird. And, um, you know, you, you spoke about a little bit about this before, Kelly, but I'm curious, um, you know, whether it's Greek, Norse, Egyptian, or any other tradition, you know, kids really do seem to have an insatiable appetite for, uh, for these kind of stories. Uh, what, do you, what is it about myths that you think so captures the imagination? I think really it w it was for me the combination of you know God magic I love anything with that you know creative bent and I remember too as a child reading myths Greek Greek Roman North and you know as you say you know looking for the you know sexiest legs or you certainly have the you know Loki myth where he turns into a female horse and mates with a 
male horse. Um, and just there were, there were certain elements in those stories that I did not get, you know, of you know, adult life that you would that would otherwise be you know, totally unsuitable for children. But in myths, you were able to sort of you were able to see Odin doing this, Zeus doing doing this, and get a little more mature stories sometimes. Hmm. Now, going back to this book in particular, uh, one of the things that struck me while reading was, although it is root- rooted in this ancient mythology, um, it is a contemporary story, and readers with, let's say, more contemporary religious backgrounds, maybe even conservative Christianity, could perhaps find some parallels without giving too much away. The character Matt learns at one point that there are some folks in town who would actually uh, welcome the apocalypse as a way to cleanse uh, the earth. Uh, can you talk a bit about uh, the way the book looks at growing up in a family uh, or community in which faith and religion are these powerful forces, uh, Melissa? Uh, that was kind of a little awkward for me because, oh, okay. um, well, no, I mean, it's okay to ask, but I'm I'm not Christian. I'm pagan. Mm-hmm. So my, my perspective on religion is, is not as mainstream. Um, so I'm, I'm not, I'm not as sure how to tackle that one. Kelly, do you have a... Do you want me to? Yeah. <laughs> I do live in a religiously conservative area, although Canadian religiously conservative is not always the same hmm. as American religiously conservative, but there certainly are. It's very strongly faith-based in the area that we live. And you certainly will get people who, you know, with the, you know, will go on about the state of the of the world and may even welcome something like an apocalypse or a second coming or something to you know cleanse so i'm certainly able to sort of make those parallels as i'm writing about a small community that is very faith-based to at least in part pull in some of my experience there okay and uh one of the other aspects of uh, life in Blackwell that I thought was interesting was that it can also be a bit traditional when it comes to women and girls. Uh, Lori, in particular, uh, uh, seems to come up against the idea often that she needs to be protected or shielded or that she's, you know, quote unquote, just a girl. Would you like to talk about that a bit? Um, well, Lori's, we each write, a different, we write different characters' point of view, and Lori is mine. Mm. Um, so I, when I taught uh, university before this, I taught women and gender studies in addition to, uh, to lit. So that's just something that I feel very strongly. Um, and it seems very appropriate to deal with when dealing with South Dakota, which is actually where my husband's family lives and is from, because as a modern feminist mother, dealing with our relatives out there, I've run into a lot of that, not just for myself, but for my daughter who's her maternal family also lives out there. So it, it very much comes out of real life experience with this notion that, that there are different rules for boys and different rules for girls. And um, obviously it's something I think needs constant challenging because I think both boys and girls are limited by the idea that they have different expectations based on their gender. You actually touched on something that uh, leads into uh, my next uh, question, which was certainly when authors when two authors work on a book together, there are different ways of approaching it, either alternating chapters or alternating viewpoints. But since there are two of you, and at least in this book, uh, three sort of viewpoint characters, um, what did your collaboration look like? What was that process? Uh, Kelly? Um, so what we decided was, yes, I mean, certainly for us, splitting it up did mean splitting by a viewpoint because we have both written many books our, ourselves and we have our own patterns, our own voices. And it would have been really hard, I think, to have overwritten. So splitting it by viewpoint made sense. Most of what I write is first person, single point of view. Most of what Melissa does is third person, multiple points of view. So the way 
way we decided to split it was I would take Matt, who could be considered, if, if you're going to give this book a protagonist, it would be Matt. He gets at least half of the actual novel, and then Melissa takes the points of view for all other characters, primarily Fen and Laurie, but certainly once, once we get into the uh, second book, when we start seeing other points of view, she is also writing those. I just do Matt. Great. This is something we spoke about a little bit earlier, but now you have both written you know, for teens before and as well as for adults before, um, but this is your first time writing for this middle grade audience. So, you know, you talked a bit about your sons, but I was curious in general, how did the experience of writing for this audience, especially, you know, again, having kids who are sort of the target audience, how did that compare to sort of uh, your previous work, uh, Melissa? I've really enjoyed everything I've done, but honestly, this was so much more fun. Um, there's it's action all the time, and there's monsters, and and you can have things like you know this random herd of goats, and you can have you know giant trolls, and I mean it's just how far can you push? And writing with another author too, who has the same parenting philosophies and the same age children. I mean, I feel like the whole process is the both of us constantly pushing the other one into a, a catastrophic abyss and saying, okay, your chapter. And so it's really been a lot of fun and a lot of action. I absolutely loved it. And how about you, Kelly? A similar experience? Certainly. I mean, I love writing action. Um, and I was able to fully indulge that with the uh, middle grade. But you're, you're not seeing that romantic aspect, which is also important in YA and even in adult fiction of the sort that I, that I write. This could really focus on being an action story. Although, ad, admittedly, there were times when Melissa would have to you know, remind me of the audience that we were writing for. Mm. Um, I mean, I would clearly know not to use profanity or anything like that. Um, but there were words that I wasn't aware which would be considered inappropriate for a book of that age because certainly they are words that you know my sons and all their friends would would use but teachers and librarians and parents might not want to see in a middle mm -hmm. grade book she's saying she's a problem child is really <laughs> she's sitting there <laughs> and uh, will you both be heading out on the road to meet fans once uh, Loki's Wolves comes out Yes and no. Um, we're not doing a proper tour for the first book. Um, I just adopted an infant about 10 weeks ago. Oh, congratulations. So, thank you. So I'm pretty much home right now. We're doing a few events. Um, I'm not sure if they're public or not, but we are doing some events. And then we'll probably tour for the second book. So I think, in, and when we do any solo events, which we both do absurd amounts of, um, obviously we can do that. Uh, we can sign these there as well. Excellent. And... Um you know, is there anything you guys might be able to uh, talk about as far as that next book? Uh, anything we can look forward to? Or do you know when it's uh, slated to arrive, that sort of thing? I believe we are looking at May 2014, although they are still figuring out an exact date. The, one, of the, one of the problems is because Melissa and I both have other, uh, other releases, trying to find a time period when neither of us has one can be fun. Yeah, okay. um, I can say there are goats. I mean, if you want, if you want any sort of any secret about book two, there are awesome goats. <laughs> Crucial part of many myths. Um, well, speaking of those, uh, the busy calendars you guys have. Uh, are there any other uh, upcoming projects uh, to talk about, um, Melissa? 
what's uh, next for you in addition to this story? Well, I have my second adult novel coming out uh, the first week of July. It's called The Arrivals, and um, it's very, again, very action-y. It's a sort of sci-fi weird west book, and I have... Uh, a Wicked Lovely book actually coming out in October. Um, I did the manga series in the Wicked Lovely world and a bunch of readers had said, I don't want to read manga, but I still want to read it. So I started turning it into a short story, which evolved into a novel, which HarperCollins is now releasing in October. And um, an anthology that Kelly is actually in called Rags and Bones that uh, comes out in October, which is literary stories retold and it features Kelly and Neil Gaiman and uh, Gene Wolfe and Carrie Ryan and a lot of great authors. Great. And Kelly, what about you? What, what besides uh, Rags and Bone do you have uh, on the table? Next month, I have the last the last book in my uh, YA series, uh, The Rising, comes out. And then late August, I have the first book in my new adult series. I've ended The, uh, the Other World, and I've got the first in a uh, new one, Omens, comes out in August. And that is a privileged young woman who discovers she's, she, is, uh, she is adopted and the child of convicted serial killers so definitely not middle grade (laughs) not yet at least well uh kelly melissa thank you uh, again for taking time to speak with me thank you thank you very much Uh, once again i've been talking with kelly armstrong and melissa marr about their new middle grade novel loki's wolves which will be published by little brown in may i'm john sellers of publishers weekly thank you for listening to pw kids cast